Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, the Lord has led us here as a church for the um, for three weeks here to be focusing in on the last half of Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, and in that passage, it's um, it's really focusing on this idea of pleasing God with our lives that we make it our aim to please Him. Okay, in all things that we do. And so last week we we saw that uh, we need to reach this crucial realization that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if a person does not know Christ as Savior, they will stand before him at the great white throne judgment and where it will be established that they have sinned against the holy God and are lost. Uh, But for all of us who have received Christ as Savior, we will stand before Christ and he will with us evaluate our lives. And uh, at that judgment, we can rejoice in the things that are um, good and right and we did that honor the Lord. And then the Bible says that we will suffer loss of those things that we did in our lives that were not done for the Lord when something else was going on. Uh, and then this week we want to uh, talk about a powerful conclusion when it comes to pleasing the Lord, a powerful conclusion that we need to reach. Now, Billy Graham, and I don't know how you personally feel about Billy Graham. Uh, I believe that he was a great man, a great Christian, a great preacher who God used in amazing ways. Uh, Many people know the Lord today because of Billy Graham. And we know that he just passed away recently. They had his funeral this week. And when we think about someone and we think about what was their life about? What was someone's life about? You know, we can read a, a book, a biography, uh, this is a, a, a good book, but I read years ago a, a, a much more thorough biography of Billy Graham. And as I read, what I learned about what his life was about by how he lived his life, the decisions that he made, and how those you know, came out in his life. And so uh, start to understand what was Billy Graham's life about. Well, look at his life. You'll figure it out. So I, I get thinking, well, what if somebody was writing a book about my life? And so someone wrote about what I did and when I did it and why I did it and what happened, all this kind of stuff. What would people conclude about my life? And what was my life about? Same for you guys, right? What is your life really about? I mean, we could ask the question today, you walk in, we could say, what's your life really all about? And you'd probably come up with really good, theologically correct answers, right? All the right answers. But the question comes down to, is how we're living our lives are we really living it? Does it match what we're saying our lives are about? And so that's what we want to focus in on and come to understand today. So let's take our Bibles and go to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take one out of the chairs there. We'll be on page 1329 today. We're going to start in verse number 14 in just a moment. Remember that the Apostle Paul, he said last week, is uh, writing this letter for a number of reasons, one of which is to um, help the the Corinthians, because they were hearing uh, criticism of Paul, accusations against Paul, that Paul wasn't really an apostle, because he hadn't been with Jesus, you know, when Jesus was on earth, and 
And uh, so Paul has had to deal with those things and then part of his letter here and even part of the passage we're looking at, he is addressing those things. And so the last half of, uh, excuse me, verses nine through 11, he talks about what we talked about last week, the judgment seat of Christ. And then at the end of verse 11 and then 12 and 13, he talks more about that issue, encouraging the Corinthians about that they can accept his ministry and follow him in it. Well, we wanna pick up in here is verse number 14. He gets back to the big reasons behind all of these things. And he says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, so just a quick kind of breakdown on this, this passage of scripture. I see it saying here that Christ compels me to make my whole life about him. He compels me to make my whole life about him. And so verse 15, he says, okay, because that's true, I need to stop living for me and start living for him. And because that's true, I need to stop, stop looking at the world through my own natural uh, wisdom and ideas and start looking at it from God's perspective. And then finally, I need to begin living out this new life, this new creation that I am. That kind of summarizes the whole thing. But let's go back and work our way through these verses and see if we can't learn some really valuable things here. Verse 14, just the first phrase. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Have you ever felt compelled about something? Compelled to do something? You know, when, when you feel compelled, you feel like you don't have a choice, right? I mean, you may actually have a choice, but you say, no, I was compelled. You felt like you really didn't have any other choice. You, you really needed to do this. Well, the, the word that's translated compel here uh, means to hold together, okay? But then it also means to compress. And when we compress something, what's happening? We're putting what? Pressure on it. Now, I don't know about you, I typically don't like pressure, right? I don't like feeling pressured. But pressure is not always a bad thing, is it? When if you're receiving and beginning to feel pressure to, to do what's right, or, or that there's a, just a logical conclusion, you feel pressure, I gotta do this, that can be a good thing. And so, I, Paul's saying, I, I feel this sense of pressure about, because Christ loves me, and then he's, he's gonna go on and, and talk about that. Uh, another way this is translated, or it often means, is to take captive, like a prisoner. That word that's translated here is sometimes used that way. And so Paul is saying, I have been taken captive by the love of Christ. And when you're a captive, you are what? Hemmed in and controlled by something outside of yourself. And so this is the love of Christ he's talking about. Figuratively, it, it, it means to preoccupy. You ever been preoccupied? Okay, so I am famous in my household for some things. And if we sat and if I get all my kids up here and talk to it today, they would tell you, that, and, and I've experienced it. When, 
We're sitting around the dinner table and the conversation starts to be about, and, and, and they're, they're talking with each other and I'm not you know, connected in that conversation. I feel like I did. Guess where my mind goes? Somewhere. <laughs> I start thinking about this and I'm thinking about that. And, I'm, and what's happened on more than one occasion is all of a sudden I realize it's awfully quiet in here now. And I stop and I look and everybody at the table's looking at me because they've been saying, Dad, Dad, Dad. What was going on? I was preoccupied, right? In other words, something had taken over me in my thinking. And so Paul said, the love of Christ, it just preoccupies me. Uh, then the idea of to consume, that's another word, you know, consumed with it, to be overwhelmed by it. And so this idea of being compelled by Christ's love, does that describe you today? Is that what you could say? Yes, I am compelled by Christ's love to live my life in this certain way. Um, how many of you remember at some point in your life where for the first time all of a sudden there was someone very special in your life? You know what I mean? That young man, that young woman or whatever. Do you remember that? Yeah. How to make you feel? You were falling in love, and what? Ooh. You know, when you see them, all of a sudden, what happens, you know? All right, your heart starts to beat a little bit, and, you, and when, when all of a sudden they walk in the room, it's kind of like, cool. And, and the guys, how do we walk around, guys? You know, when she walks in the room, it's like. And you may not have done it on the outside, but you did it on the inside, and. And ladies, I, I don't even know how to put into words what you probably felt. Uh, okay, but we do that, right? And, and so we spent hours talking to each other on the phone, right? You, you, you do that, probably way more hours than you should have, but you were what? Consumed by this. Uh, you, you spent way more money on things than you probably should have spent because you were just overwhelmed and, and caught up in this. Um, you, I remember doing this, you know, you drive two, two and a half hours to see them for one hour and then drive two, two and a half hours back. And it was worth it, right? I mean, why? Because you are what? Just overwhelmed in this thing. You're compelled by that love. And so it is with Christ. He loves us and the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. And, and so we're responding. And wouldn't it be awesome? Well, let me back up. I don't want to cause marriage counseling issues this morning. But how many of you would say, it would be really nice for a while to go back to the way it felt in the beginning? Yeah, right? And hopefully we mature, we grow, and our love is much deeper. But you understand I'm talking about this feeling of being compelled by love. And so it is with Christ. That's the way our lives are to be. When I first came to Christ, man, all of a sudden that was so cool. And to know about him and know I was saved and, and know there was truth and, and learning and growing. I couldn't wait to read my Bible. I couldn't wait to get together with God's people and to worship and be taught and to, to share my faith. All of those things because we were compelled. And this is what makes, the, I think, the challenge of uh, God's challenge to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation to the Christians in Ephesus. He says, you know, we got a problem here and that's that You've left your first love. You've lost that love that compels you to live 
as a Christian to live for Christ. All right, so let's go back here, verse. He says, for the love of Christ compels us, and now he's gonna tell us about what? He says, because we judge thus. Now, we wouldn't normally say it that way, but he says, because he, he's saying, as I've thought about this and looked at this, I've reached a judgment, I've reached a decision, I've reached a conclusion. He says this, we judge thus, that if one died for all, talking about Christ, then all died, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, when we think about coming to Christ, we um, tend to think about when we receive Christ, and that's what we're doing, receiving Christ, and what? Christ moves in. We always talk about that, right? I talk about that when I'm explaining the gospel, how we've all sinned against the holy God, our sins separate us from God. If we die in that condition, we'll be separated from him forever in hell. But the God loved us so much, he sent his son into the world who lives this perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross, and as he does so, God the Father puts his, the penalty for the sins, my sins, your sins, and the sins of the whole world on Christ. He dies paying that penalty, rises again from the dead. And so the offer to us is if we will recognize our need as sinners and receive Christ as Savior, trust what he did for us, that at that moment he forgives every sin, forgives every sin we ever have or ever will commit. He gives us eternal life. And you remember the third thing that I always tell you? He moves in, right? He moves in and, and, and indwells us and begins to work on us and make powerful changes in us from the inside out. Well, <clears throat> that's all very true and it's, it's the quickest and easiest to understand. But there's a whole lot more that the Bible says uh, about us being put into Christ than it is about him coming into us, all right? So we get saved, he comes into us, but the Bible says that then he also puts us into Christ. And here's what that means. Uh, I'm not going to cover the whole thing, but here's what it means with respect to what Paul is saying. The Bible teaches us that when we receive Christ and we are put into Christ, that then his death becomes our death. We died with him. Now, let's talk, we'll talk more before we're done here, clarify that, I think. Um, have you ever seen a dead person sin? Dead people don't sin, okay? Sin has zero control over them, all right? And so that's the reality for you and I. We die with Christ, his death, our death, we're united with Christ in that. And because of that, we are set free from the controlling power of sin. We have died to that. Doesn't mean we don't still sin because we still, there's lots of things need to, to grow and change, our way of thinking, our habits, um, all sorts of things need to change. And so we're learning not to sin. But the, the deal is, is that now we don't have to anymore. We are set free. But so Paul said, hey, if, if Christ died for all of us, that means we died with him, okay? So we, we're free to make good and right choices now. And then he says, and in that he lives, okay? So he came to life. Well, the same way I was put into Christ, and I, I died with him then there, I also did what? Rose with him to a new life, to a new life. In verse 17, we're gonna talk about that a little more. But so he's talking about this fact that, that when, as believers, when we come to Christ, that we are put into Christ, and, and so we die to this, and we live to this, and he says, we reach a conclusion because of this. In other words, that's a demonstration of God's love for us, isn't it? The love of Christ, what he's done for us, he says, so we reach this conclusion. Verse 
14 again, because we judge thus that if Christ died for all, then all died, and he died for all that, here we go, that those who live should no longer live, or should live no longer for themselves, but for him. Living no longer for yourselves, but for him. And so this is the powerful conclusion that we're talking about. If I please the Lord by making my whole life about him. Stop living for me. Start living for him. Not stop living part of my life for me. Stop living my life and making my whole life about him. Now, this idea of making our whole lives about him is not really a surprising um, uh, truth because Jesus said in Luke 14, he says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus himself said this is the challenge. And, and we think about this idea of forsaking all. Now, what I want you to do is not to let your mind slip to this place of saying, well, what he means is we have to be willing to forsake all. Well, you should be willing to forsake all, but that's not what he said. He said you have to do what? Forsake all. If you're gonna follow me, you have to forsake all. Well, how does that work? You mean I gotta sell it all and give it away like he told the one man? And, well, no, no, but here's what it is. It's, so let's say we have a house, okay? Glenda and I, we, we own a house here in this world, this life. But we, from the very beginning, because of how we've been taught and understand is, is Lord, this isn't our house. We forsake it. It's, it's yours. It belongs to you, God. We will use it as long as you entrust it to us. You know, what do you want us to do with this house? Do you want us to open it up and bring people in, you know? Do you want us to help people who need a place to stay? Do you want us to, what do you want us to do with this house? It's yours. We've what? We've already let go of it. And if he says, I want you to sell it and move, hey, no problem. I mean, I want to make sure he said it. <laughs> but, right, the idea is that we've already forsaken. And so it is with our whole lives. And this is what, so what Paul is saying is consistent with what Jesus says, is we, we forsake how much? All, not just possessions. Earlier in this passage, it says people too. We've already made the decision. If I have to choose between people and Christ, I choose Christ. I've already made that decision, okay? Um, yeah, all right. Uh, the Apostle Paul modeled this approach for us as well. In Acts chapter 20, when he was uh, saying goodbye to the uh, leaders of the church in Ephesus, he said this, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. This, this life doesn't, it's, it's worth nothing unless I'm living it for him. Anything else is not worth it. Not worth it. Um, one of the things that, that Glenda has done so good a job of reminding me at, and, and it's only, if she isn't actually, usually she's not trying to remind me, she's expressing how she feels about this. And that is that when we talk about living our lives, we can live our lives for ourselves, right? We can live our lives in our own strength. We can do our own thing. And she says, and I, I don't know the exact words, but it would fit. She says, that's just yucky. That's a good theological word. It's yucky. Anything that's not living my whole life for the Lord is just yucky. Blah. And somehow or other we're deceived about that. 
Um, we'll focus in on that a little bit too. So the idea is this, this powerful conclusion that we need to reach. Because of Christ's love for us, we are so compelled that we conclude this, that my, I must please the Lord with my whole life. Right, I please the Lord by making my whole life about him. Well, how does that work then? Well, the, he continues here. Verse 16, let I me mean, we'll see what it looks like here a little bit. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And when he says according to the flesh, he means just from a natural human perspective. We all, you know, in our life, we have our natural human perspective. And have you noticed that the way God looks at things most of the time isn't the way you look at things? Okay, and so what he's saying here is we used to look at people from their natural human perspective, but not anymore, not anymore. Now we're, we're adopting the Lord's perspective and looking at things that way. And he says, even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, we used to have our natural perspective about Christ, yet now we know him thus no longer. Do you know what a natural human perspective does with Christ? A natural human perspective of Christ says, oh, I believe that he's the son of God and, and maybe I even, I receive Christ as my savior, yep, and I include him in my life. He's a part of my life. That's a natural human perspective on it. But God's perspective is, oh no, no, he is not a part of my life, he is my life. By nature, we want to include Christ. And I tell you what, he's not interested. He's not interested in being included in your life. He's very interested in being your life, okay? And he wants that because it's for your good. Oh man, so many things we could talk about there. So he's, he says it changes how we look at everything. When we finally say, I've reached this powerful conclusion, my life is about the Lord, that changes how we look at everything. We don't look at everything the same way anymore. And then verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's drill down on this just a little bit. On April 4th, 1975, close to 10 o'clock at night, I, I opened my heart and mind up my life up and received Christ as Savior. Very clear. So I know I'm lost, Father. I, 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 I received Christ as Savior. Um, and very definitely, I, I mean, I, it's very clear to me that he saved me that night. Saved me from the penalty of my sins. Uh, and then moved in and began working. So this verse, therefore, if any man be in Christ, the moment I received Christ, I, I prayed, right? Boom, he came to live within me, but he also put me in him. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? What's it say? New creation, okay, that's cool. Old things are passed away, that's cool. I have a bunch of old things need to pass away. Then he says this, all Things. How many things? You guys convinced? How many? All things have been made new. Well, I got up from praying and I still have the same old body. I had a lot of the same old thoughts and ways of thinking, a lot of the same habits. But he says, old to passed away. And how much has become new? All things have become new. So, what is he talking about? Well, I'm convinced, based on what he says multiple other places in Scripture, that what he's talking about here is that it's in my spirit, deep down inside of me, that part of me who is at the core of my being, my essence, that place where I was dead to God, where I had a sinful, selfish nature, okay, that that's where he moved in. 
And when he moved in, I became alive to him. And his life was in me there. And he changed me deep down inside to where deep down inside I am a holy person. Because, not because of me, but because of him. Deep down inside, I, I want to do what's right. I always want to do what's right deep down inside. I, I want to love like I'm supposed to. And we go on down this list, and what we discover is that deep down inside, when we receive Christ, we begin to look an awfully lot like our older spiritual brother, Jesus. Because guess what? He's taken up residence. And in ice my spirit, he has made all things new. There is nothing old left there. And a few weeks back, you remember in Philippians, we talked about the passage. I think it's in chapter three. Yeah, maybe two, I don't remember. But where he talks about that we have to work out our salvation into our lives. And so it's this change that he's made deep down inside where I am now a new creation. The old is past. Everything is new. Now that needs to begin to work its way out into my life, into how I think. It needs to start changing my thoughts, change my views, change my decisions, change my actions. It needs to work out into my life. And doesn't this make sense? Here we are, we're talking about that if I'm gonna please the Lord, I what? I need to make my whole life about him. And what that means is letting him from the inside out more and more have control and living in ways that honor him. Now, this idea of giving our whole lives to the Lord, you know, when you first hear that, and, and I think lots of Christians hear this, um, and we start thinking about it, we think, man, that's a pretty heavy thing you're talking about. Make my whole life about the Lord? And I think we would all admit from a logical perspective that we ought to be excited about that. We ought to be excited about the prospect of my whole life being about the Lord, but far too often we aren't excited about it. And we aren't excited about it maybe because we're fearful of what it will mean. Maybe it sounds boring. What we think of when we think of life being about the Lord sounds boring. Uh, what it might cost us, whatever. And we aren't excited about it. And I, because I, if, if we were, we'd live differently. Okay. Um, and so I think, and asking, Lord, what is it? What are we missing about this? Is it just because we're recovering sinners? Well, that's part of it, but there's something more here. And I think it's that we have a defective or deformed faith. Okay. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the author is there, he says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Possible to please God. So let's just stop there for a moment. We're talking about pleasing God with our lives, right? Because we're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we please him by giving our whole life to him. And so he says, faith is a part of this because you can't please God without faith. And then he elaborates, what does he mean by this? He says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he what? exists. God is real. You can't get saved without concluding that God is real. And you must live your life like God is real. Well, I think most of us get that. I, I, I understand that every now and then we have intellectual doubts that might crop up. But for the most part, probably nobody here this week wondered and really struggled with whether or not God is real. Okay? We probably got that one. But it's the second part of this and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let's focus in on that second part. You must, if you're gonna please God, you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The idea is this, he is worth seeking 
with your life. He is worth it. And, and see, we forget that. And so we don't get excited about it. Well, let's, let's uh, uh, focus in here a little more deeply on this. Um, you know, this idea of we, and I say we forget, we, maybe we never determined that he really is worth seeking or we've forgotten it or, or it may be that life in recent time has just beat the snot out of you and you're not feel, you know, you aren't focused where you need to be. And I ask in the first service, I ask you guys, is it okay for the preacher to say snot in church? Sometimes life, you know, really whacks us around, okay? But we need to, to remember this is part of, this faith that pleases God. It's not just believing he exists, it's believing that he's worth seeking. He's worth knowing. He's worth doing whatever it takes to have this kind of relationship with him. The words, there's two words here, diligently seek, and they're translated from one Greek word, which means to search for or to investigate. Listen, it also means this, to crave. Wow, diligently seeking in the Lord. You must believe that he exists and you should crave knowing him. To demand, demand that you know him. The English word diligently means attentive and persistent in doing something, something that's done or pursued with persevering attention or painstaking effort, if that's what it takes. So what we're talking about here is we diligently seek the Lord by making our whole lives about him. That's how we're diligent in seeking him. And so this is what the Lord tells us to do. Now, now making your whole life about him is not only logical, see, it's worth it. He's a rewarder. He will reward you. It will be worth it many, many, many times over. Well, let's talk about some practical things here today. Um, let me share a little bit of, st of strategy of, of preaching. Um, and then I've heard this in more than one place, but preaching is like this. If we have a timeline here, okay, on the front of us here in a sense. The Bible happens over here in the past, doesn't it? Happened way back, okay? Uh, the last things that happened in there almost 2,000 years, okay? So we, we see that, it's old. And so we have to say, what was going on? What was happening? What were the circumstances? What's the context? What was being said? Who was it being said to? Why was it being said? What do those words actually mean? And, and trying to really get an understanding of what the Bible is saying and what it means. Now, the, the problem is, is that we don't live over there, we live here. I mean, so Paul writes to the Corinthians over here, doesn't he? But we live way over here some 2,000 years later. And so in preaching, one of our goals is to make sure we understand this properly and then to build a bridge from here to our lives that we can walk across and say, okay, here's what that means here. Now, typically in my preaching, I'm running back and forth here. I'm saying this, and then I'm saying this. But what I'm gonna do today is not what I normally do. I'm gonna park over here for a while, okay? Um, preachers who only preach over there, they aren't really, you know, getting you the word of God the way you need. Preachers who stay over here all the time really aren't preaching the word, right? We wanna balance, and which is why I wanna say to you that today I'm gonna sit down over here for a little while 
and talk to you about what this means, what it could mean, maybe should mean in your lives. So uh, what I'm gonna do is just go through some examples, walk ourselves through our lives and think about our lives and say, if I really make my life about the Lord, my whole life, I want my whole life to be about the Lord, what's it gonna look like? What kinds of things am I going to be looking at and, and making decisions about? And um, let me say to you that, okay, that's kind of what I want you to do right now. Um, can you do that with me, ready? All right, because if you're already doing what I'm saying in some area, great, awesome, praise the Lord, right? I'm not accusing you of anything. Um, and if your life is really about the Lord, you won't get upset with me anyway there. If you happen to disagree with something you think I'm saying, as I'm trying to make an application, don't get hung up on it. If you disagree with it, fine. Just keep listening to the other things that you don't disagree with, all right? Uh, if you have a tendency to beat yourself up about things, that's not the goal of this. This is not what this is about. It's not to try to hammer anybody or make you feel guilty. What I want to do with you is just to walk through and actually think through life a little bit and say, if I really am going to say my whole life is, is about the Lord, what kinds of things does that mean? All right? So I just want us to all be open, open to the Lord and what he might say to us. All right, so let's start simple by just walking through a day. What's it going to look like? Okay, so if, 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 if I'm saying, if you're saying, okay, and I'm not going to live for myself anymore, I'm going to make my life about Christ. Tonight, when you go to bed, you have to decide what time you're getting up tomorrow morning, right? Okay. Are you going to include enough time to open God's word and to hear from him before you go out for the rest of your day? Are you going to get up early enough and personally include enough time where you can have unrushed conversation with the Lord about those things? So see, that's, just a very practical, I want my life to be about the Lord. So it affects what time I get up tomorrow. Um, so if I'm not living for myself, or you're not living for yourself, but for Christ, when you do get to work, or, or if you're a young person, maybe when you get to school, okay, what are you gonna talk to your coworkers and fellow students about? Is it just gonna be all small talk, stuff that really doesn't mean much of anything? Or will you express interest in them and, and what's happening in their lives, genuinely? care for them? Will you be alert to opportunities that you might have to turn the conversation to Christ or to the gospel? And by the way, if you're on purpose spending some time in the morning with God and saying, Lord, would you help me to be alert? You're much more likely to be alert. Um, will, when the talk turns to gossip, negative talk about people, will you participate or will you just graciously excuse yourself and find something else to do? Okay, if you're, if you're not living for yourself but for Christ, how will you approach your work that you're given? <laughs> Students, how will you approach your assignments? What will you do? Will you go after that wholeheartedly because this is what God has entrusted you to do? Uh, if you're not living for yourself but for Christ, will you be, what will you be looking forward to at the end of your work day or the end of your school day? What will you be thinking about? Will you purposefully come home and invest in family relationships? Or will you spend the majority of your time pursuing your own hobbies and, and interests? Not that those are all wrong, but what will you be doing on purpose? 
Will you include time in your life to connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ to help them and encourage them, be a part of a life group or personally in your own life, but you're connecting with other Christians on purpose about our lives together as Christians. If you're not living for yourself but for Christ, how many hours will you spend watching television shows or surfing the web at night? By the way, sometimes that's gonna be a really good way just to, right, chill out, that's fine, but how much are you gonna do? What time will you go to bed? because you need to consider the importance of being rested so you can do well what you need to do tomorrow for the Lord. Why? Because your whole life is about the Lord. If you're not living for, for yourself but for Christ, how will it affect your decisions about things that are of questionable value? Things like drinking alcoholic beverages or smoking pot or going out to the bar or fill in the blank, okay? If you say, my whole life's gonna be about the Lord, where do those things fit? How do they fit? Or do they not fit? All right, so those are some pretty simple, just going through life kinds of examples. Let's, let's get a little more focused here. Um, and, and these are for all of us, but first of all, I want just a couple things for you young people, for teens, young adults. If you're living for Christ, or not living for yourself, but your whole life's about Christ, will you seriously consider giving your whole life to serve the Lord as a missionary? Or as a pastor? Or married to someone in ministry or some other ministry, will you honestly open up your heart to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Don't just assume. If your whole life's about the Lord, you're gonna do that. And by the way, that could be happen to you not when you're just a, a teen or a young adult. You could be 60 and looking at that today. Um, if you're living for your, not living for yourself but for Christ, will you commit yourself, young people, to dating only committed Christians that you look at this person and say, yeah, I could possibly marry this person. In other words, if it's someone you wouldn't marry, don't date them. Why? Because your whole life is about the Lord. And that doesn't fit. Okay, again, for all of us, but especially for the, those of you who are already retired or you're nearing retirement, you know it's in sight, you can see retirement. If you're not living for yourself but for the Lord, will you seriously consider retirement as an opportunity for greater service, as an opportunity to get more involved in ministry and serving the Lord. All right, so again, if you're married, if you're not living for yourself but for Christ, will you pursue spiritual activities with your spouse, like reading and talking about the Bible together, praying together, maybe serving together, on purpose, why? Because your life together is, is about the Lord. And I know that that one is kind of a hard one. It seems to be a hard nut for us to crack is with our husbands and wives, opening the word together, praying together. I think the flesh just doesn't want to do it. But I'm very thankful that God has been working in, in our lives, Glenn is in my life, in, in enabling us to grow in this area. It's so exciting. Parents, whether you're married or you're a single parent, if, if you're gonna say my whole life is about Christ, well, will you then give high priority to opening the Bible together with your children? To praying with your children? To serving, maybe, with your children? Will your household and your family be about Christ or about something else? Man, we let so many things fill up our lives, don't we? And then we try to plug Jesus in. That's backwards. Um... 
So many things to talk about here, our relationships, our money, our time, our ministry. But I think you know how, you, you understand now, right, what we're talking about? Looking at our whole lives. Um, so Dan, I'm gonna ask you to come on up. Dan's gonna lead us in a, another song here in just a minute. But before he does that, back in verse 16, the Apostle Paul in making this judgment, he said, from now on, from now on. And the reality is, you know, that ought to be from the time we receive Christ, right? From now on, and, but it isn't always. But you have an opportunity today to say, from now on, my life will be about the Lord. That might be a new decision for you. That might be a renewing decision for you. It might be a more enlightened decision for you. But today, I want to challenge you to say, from now on, my life will be about the Lord. And Lord, you know me. You know my message. You know where I goof up. But Lord, I'm going to do this. And when I fail, I need you to lift me up. I want to keep going. I'm going to keep working at this. All right, so I'm going to pray, and then uh, Dan's going to lead us in a very appropriate song for us at this point. Father, thank you that you sent your son to die for us and to live for us and to live in us and us in him and all the awesome, amazing things that that means, Father. I pray that we would really believe that, that you reward us when we live our lives this way, when we seek you with our whole lives, our whole hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would challenge each of us where we're at, what this means for us. And I pray that as we sing, Father, that we wouldn't just sing words, but Lord, we'd open up our hearts and minds to you and respond to you in this here today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.